0: Heavenly Father, as we open your word together, would you please speak to our hearts, to our minds. Lord, we all come with things on our hearts and minds. We come with the weight of our weeks, our families. We all come with a certain attitude, even this morning. Maybe it's based on what happened as we were getting up. Maybe it's something that happened last night or even on the way here. But we all come with stuff. Lord, I pray that you can cut through everything this morning and speak to us by your spirit. Encourage and equip us in all areas of life to live kingdom first. Every day of every week of every year for the honor and glory of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. So a while back, before Facebook and other social media, the newspaper was used a lot, a bit more than it is now, One of the things that used to be printed in newspapers at times were wedding announcements. And I'd like to read a particular wedding announcement from the Oklahoma Daily that is a little different than what you might normally get in wedding announcements. It's quite bold. I'll just read it. From the Oklahoma Daily. Parents, Liz and Wilson Wainwright, are proud to announce the wedding of their daughter, Alyssa Wainwright. Unfairly snubbed gymnast from the 2008 Olympic trials. Winner of gold medal in balance beam and uneven parallel barred Oklahoma State championship in 2017. Member of the NCAA silver medal winning gymnastics team in Oklahoma State where she was on a full athletic scholarship after graduating. From the distinguished Tate High School with a 3.9 GPA, while simultaneously graduating from Libertyville Gymnastics Academy as a gold medal winner in three of four disciplines, her groom, Louis Camacho, is a six-foot, 189-pound quarterback with a 4.2 time and a 38-inch vertical leap, who is now playing for Arena Football's Washington Valor after a career with the CFL Saskatchewan Rough Riders and a brief stint with the NFL Detroit Lions, who cut him as if they could do better. I mean, the Lions. Really? (laughs) Luis was drafted by the Lions after three years at Oklahoma State, where he probably should have stayed one more year and moved up to the first round, which would have been more guaranteed money. Meanwhile, the Lions went 4-12 right after cutting him. So it looks like they'll be missing the playoffs and the wedding. We wish the couple love, happiness, and an injury-free future in coaching once their playing careers have ended. How's that for a wedding announcement? It's also fake. It's not real, um, but it was presented as real. Um, This was on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. When they do the bluffing and they do three things, you got to figure out which one is right, and this was one of them, and this giant, huge, you know, big thing, which all wedding announcements are giant, right? I mean, you're getting married. It's kind of a big deal. Now, If you do it like that, it's a really big deal. It's a big deal. This morning, I want to talk about a really big announcement. Honestly, I think it's crazier than that one. As nuts as that particular announcement was with all of those details and everything, and which I really wish it was real because it was a great announcement, I want to talk about one that is even crazier. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Lori read this first part here. I want to briefly go back into it. John chapter 17, verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Notice who he's talking to. He's having a reporting time right now. He's talking to the Father to say, Here's what I've done. Yours they were, and they and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. This is what's been happening in Ministry. I've been doing the things you wanted me to do. I gave them your word, and they are holding on to your word. Now they know. They know it. That everything you've given to me, and when we talked about the giant bracelet, I mean, everything Jesus did was coming from the Father. What he said, what he judged, what he spoke, all of it. So the stuff you've given to me, I have given to them. They know it's from you. Verse 8, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. This is his report. We're at the end. I mean, this is the end of his ministry, at least on earth. And he's reporting back hey, here's what's happened. I've done all the things you wanted me to do, I've taken what you've given me, I've given it to them. They've believed, they've received the words. I'm praying for them, not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And then verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Do you know what's happening? The CEO of Kingdom Company is resigning his earthly post and going to the Father. That's what this announcement is. He is stepping down. He's come to the end of it, and he said, all right, here's what's happened. Here's what I've done. What's been accomplished. Here's what the disciples have done. Here's what's being accomplished with them. And now, I'm coming to you. Leaving this place. Here's what I would think. How hard is it when the CEO leaves the company to get the turnover, especially if it's the founder, how hard is that? The, uh, one of the guys who writes for Yahoo Finance, um, Andy Sewer, he's followed Warren Buffett for years, and he said there's a question that he gets asked a lot, Buffett, what's going to happen to Berkshire Hathaway after you? Whether you fully step away or whether you pass away, what's gonna happen? You know, which is a great question, considering he is thought of as one of the smartest executives on the planet. He has 377,000 people working for him. That's more than twice the population of Frisco. Works for him. Over a million shareholders. That's a great question. What's gonna to happen to this when you're gone? And he said the answer that he gives most of the time is, it'll be fine. But there was a particular answer that he gave one time, and he thought, I love this answer. So what's going to happen to Berkshire Hathaway when you pass away? Well, I just hope the stock doesn't go up too much. (laughs) And here's what Andy said. Based on what he's seen, the interviews, and following, he said, Buffett's got an exit strategy. And he's already started implementing it. He's been giving more and more power to different people. He's been stepping back from things that he already has an exit. He's, he's got the succession plan. But you still think is it going to work? I mean, this is such a gigantic company. Who could take over after Buffett? You know that phrase, the man? I mean, if any if you can say that about anybody, it's Warren Buffett. He's the man. You think Steve Jobs takes over after Steve Jobs? Who takes over after Jesus Christ? Just think about it. Who takes over after the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings, the son of God, has started something on earth, established the kingdom, and says, all right, I now am going back to my father. But you guys are still in the world. Guess what your job is? I'm handing this baby over to you. Are you serious? (laughs) Like, you're God, couldn't you have come up with a better plan? I mean, more creative? For example, an archangel, Michael, Gabriel, they could have taken this thing over and probably done a real bang-up job with it, right? He's handing it to people, to disciples? It's yours now. It's ours. We're supposed to carry on after Christ. We're supposed to carry on what he's been doing. This language in verse 10 is kind of scary to me. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. He says that about himself a couple of times. The Father is glorified in the Son. And I get that. But he's going to be glorified in me? Now let me just ask. Anybody feel qualified to do this? Anybody look at your life and go, I got this. Yeah, I can take over after Jesus. I mean, this is this is big. This is a like you got to I struggled with this all week going, "Lord, there had to have been something better because I just am not qualified for this. And I'm pretty sure most of the people I know feel the same way, not qualified for this. However, this is what I realized. When we say we are not qualified for this, we are not really making a statement about us. We're making a statement about him because he chose us to do this. He's the one that said, I'm leaving, you guys are still here, go out. And we'll get to the go out in a minute. He made this choice. He decided that those guys and everybody sitting in this room who calls on the name of Jesus, that we could do this. The question is not whether we feel qualified, but do we trust Jesus? Do you trust his choices? Or do you think you're so messed up that it's beyond what he can do? Do you trust him? Because that's his choice. And here's two things I want to say about it. Two ways I think we need to look at our calling into this, our taking over, where we go from here. Number one is this the potter is the one who gets to determine, especially if he's keeping it, the function or the role of the pot. The potter is the one. Do you know that God took shepherds and made them kings? God took fishermen and he made them world changers in the church. And you know what? He's been doing it from the beginning. We think about Abraham and his title in the New Testament. He's the father of the faith. And you know what? Rightfully so in many ways because Abraham demonstrated some amazing faith. Abraham walked away from a family business without knowing where he was going. Even, I mean, it was a long distance too. Not knowing what it looked like, not knowing how it was gonna happen, anything else. He just walked away from it all in faith. That is bold. That is faithful. That is trusting. And yet, on the other side, you know what else is true about Abraham? He doubted multiple times. He had a kid with his wife's maidservant to help God along because he wasn't sure the promise would go through. He asked God a couple of times, are you sure, and God has to step out. At one point, he's talking to a ruler, and he is afraid, and he doesn't trust God fully to protect him. And so he lies about who his wife is. Moses. Moses was pretty amazing, right? Dude led a nation through a sea that opened up, roaring all around them. He stood up to the most powerful man on the planet. He was an amazing guy filled with faith. And yet you know the rest of the story, right? I mean, when God first calls him, Moses has every excuse in the book not to do it. And you know what? The excuses didn't work then. They don't work now. Moses would come towards the end of his life and he would act in such a way that demonstrated a lack of faith and really even scorned Yahweh so that he would not actually go into the promised land. He would see it, but he wouldn't go into it. This is a guy that, yes, he did amazing faithful things, but he had amazing faults too. And it did not stop God from using him. The disciples are the same. None of them really theologically trained. You've got guys who know a whole lot more about boats than they do about people and God. You've got a zealot who's far more passionate about taking things over than about going out and bringing people into the kingdom. You've got a tax collector who knows far more about money than he does about morality. But he's invited in because God gets to determine what he does with his vessels. The question is, will we go along? Will we take what God says is true of us and say, I'm going to use you in this way, even though you don't feel a certain way, I'm going to use you that way and be used that way? There's this great little story about Napoleon riding a horse down a trail, and the horse gets out of control. And a private steps out onto the path and grabs a hold of the reins of that horse and helps control it. And Napoleon looks down at the private and says, thank you, captain. Because at his word determines what your rank will be and how you serve. Same thing here. He is saying, this is true of us. I've called you to carry on my mission. And guess what? Just hear me. You may not have faith in you to do this, but he does, or he wouldn't have called you. But it's not only that he gets to determine what the role is, but this has never been about qualifications. It's never been about that. Here's the thing. Sitting in this room right now, we have a ton of really qualified people for a lot of things. We got a bunch of really smart folks and a bunch of really talented folks sitting in this room in all kinds of areas. Does God use that? Absolutely. God uses those things. But that's not the starting point. The starting point is never my qualifications, it is his. It is never what I can accomplish, but what he can accomplish through me. And when we start with us, and how often do we do that? I don't think I can do this, or I, I've screwed up, or I send over here, or I, I, just, I don't feel ready. We start with us. Well, when we start with us, you are right. We're gonna fail more often than not if we even try. How many times have we not even stepped forward because we're starting with us, instead of starting with him. He is the one that qualifies us. He is the one that empowers us. He is the one that says, I've called you to do something and I'm behind you. It's not about qualifications, it's about surrender. There's a great quote by D.L. Moody. He has this written in one of his Bibles next to Isaiah 6-8. Um, and Isaiah 6 is where Isaiah is out there, and like he knows his sinfulness, and he's like, go away from me. And then he gets cleansed by the coals. And then finally there's the word, Whom will go for, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, send me. Now, just before that, he was not qualified. He knew it. He didn't felt it. But then God stepped in, and now Isaiah humbly is saying, Send me. And next to that verse, D.L. Moody has this written. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. It is not about our qualifications. It's about him. And what he calls us to, he equips us for. Will we step out? And you know what? He's done three things to equip us for this. He has prayed for our protection. We're going to talk about that just very briefly. He has given us authority to go. And he has given everything he has to give so that you and I have everything we need to go. Look back at your Bible. Verse nine, I am praying for them. Jesus prayed for them and he prayed for the disciples that follow. Here's what he's praying. I am praying for them, I'm not praying for the world. That is the people who don't belong to me, although we're called into the world to bring them out. But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. And here you go. First petition. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep means to protect, to preserve. And name here, think of power, authority. Jesus prays. That as we are still in the world, even though we're not of it, as we're in the world, that the Father would protect us. You can hold on to that while you're in the world. Jesus prayed the Father would protect you. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. One of the most important things about keeping us is our unity. We are called to do this together. We are called as a body to do this. You're never alone in what you are doing, and you're not supposed to be. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. Joy, knowing that the Father offers protection for us in the world, knowing that we can be a body and we're not alone. He says, You can have joy. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Don't pray for that. We're supposed to be here. We are supposed to be doing the work of Christ until he calls us home. But that you keep them from the evil one. He's just mentioned Judas. And in John's theology in particular, it is the evil one who runs the world. And so if we're asking God for protection from the world, then we definitely want it from the evil one because the devil is real and the devil is active But here is Jesus praying for protection for his people against him. Verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And then finally his third petition, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart. Let your word be the thing that as they go into the world, They are aligned with this. We've been talking a lot about orienting life. Here is Jesus actually praying that the Father would orient and align our lives with his word, protect us from the devil, protect us from the world, so that we can go into the world and continue the work of Christ. Where do you most often find Jesus? It is not hold up. In a church, it is out in the world among the people. It is sharing and manifesting the Father to people. That's how we started this whole thing. I have manifested you. That's what we're called to. And we have protection, and we have the Father working in our lives. And folks, we can go. In fact, he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You and I have authority to go out into the world with the protection of the Father and share the truth. Compassionately, lovingly, and with conviction. And and, and I'm encouraging you. Um, I know what it's like to feel like you want to share with somebody and to be afraid. To feel like maybe I won't have the right words. You ever felt that? Or to feel like, what if I say something and they say something back and I look stupid? You ever felt like you might look stupid? I mean, we've, just, we've, we've lacked a courage at times to walk through there because it is scary. Here's my encouragement. As you have moments like that or as you walk into moments like that, say this to yourself. The Father Almighty is protecting me. The Father Almighty is aligning me with him. And Jesus Christ, who has died and rose again, has given me the authority to go and talk to this person about him. It does not matter if this person thinks I'm dumb or not, or I don't have answers. I'm going in the authority of Jesus. I can walk up and have this conversation. I can walk up and pray for somebody. I can walk up and share the life that God has given me with somebody else. No matter what the outcome is, because I have the protection and the authority of God to do it. And verse 19, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. That word to sanctify, to consecrate, this is Jesus setting his entire life apart for the work of the kingdom. In all of it, as he lived, as he died, and as he rose, his entire life was set aside that we would have a model of what it looks like to live kingdom first. We would have a sacrifice necessary that we could live kingdom first and that you and I could follow in his footsteps. He gave everything, everything. There is nothing more that you need to step into the world and to serve Jesus. Can we grow? Absolutely. Are Bible studies good? Yes. Is it good to continue to be challenged? Is it good to to continue to be in God's word and to keep aligning our lives? Absolutely. But right now at this moment, with no further training and no further Bible studies, you are absolutely qualified to walk out in the authority of Jesus and to share the kingdom with people because that was his commission. And you either trust him or you don't. And if you don't trust him, you have far bigger issues than whether you can walk out into the world or not. He prayed for their protection. He granted them authority to go. And he sanctified himself. He gave everything so they would have all they need. He didn't just turn it over. He turned it over and said, I'm also going to provide what you need to do it. Back when I was younger, uh, 16 or so, um, I'd been working with my dad for about two years. He was a fireman, and so we had multiple days off every week. And as some firemen do, he wanted to get some extra cash because you could only clean the house like so much. And so he went out and he started a window washing business just kind of a small side business, you know, bringing in a couple thousand a month, washed windows. Well, I turned 16. My dad was kind of tired of it. I was pretty good at it. And he's like, you know what, pretty soon I think I'm gonna hand this over to you. I'm gonna give you the business. You could use it to make money. I've been doing a paper route since I was nine, and I was really tired of doing a paper route, and I could make so much more money washing windows than I could doing a paper route. So I'm like, that's great, I'm gonna take this over. And here's what my dad did. He said, you can use my truck, and I'm gonna make sure this thing is ready, it's all tuned up and everything, not gonna have problems with that, and I'm gonna introduce you to clients, so you have the authority to go and do these windows, and i not gonna be like, who's that weird kid out there washing my windows? Because they've met you, you have the authority to do it, and I've already established the entire business, given it to you, I'm not even asking you to go get new business, really, I'm just ask, take over. Just do what I'm doing. That's all you gotta do. I was a teenage boy. And every boy in the room and every mom in the room can go, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. Um, Here's what I did with everything my dad gave me. When I needed money, I washed windows, which is really bad business practice when people are expecting you to come at a certain point. But I'm like, I don't need that money right now. I'm going to go, I need this over here, so I'm going to go get this. And I'm going to get money here. I got my money, great, I'm good. And over time, it dwindled and it dwindled and it dwindled until literally I had like four or five businesses left, like enough money to, you know, keep gas in the truck my dad had given me that I also wasn't taking care of. And it was just, he did everything I needed to run this business and I screwed it up never got it back difference between God and my dad my dad didn't really care he was done with the business he'd moved on God does everything we need he's done and not only has he done it but he keeps going And no matter how much we failed or how much we've been afraid or how much our qualifications have kept us back, he's still going. Mission is still going. You can jump right in. All right. This one is real. From the Palm Beach Post, the bride, a graduate of Faye's school and Miss Porter's school, graduated from Georgetown University. She's a member of the Daughters of the Colonial Wars, the Society of the Friends of St. George's, and descendants of the Knights of the Garter, and the Metropolitan Club in Washington, D.C. She's descended from the French Count, Guan de Metz, and the English Baron, Falcois Fitzwarren, who was at Magna Carta. They were the subjects of the most famous 13th century manuscript, The Romance of Falcois Fitzwarren, she was presented to society as the, at the Infirmary Ball, at the International Debutante Ball in New York City, Bachelors, cotillion in Baltimore, Queen Charlotte's Ball in London, and was chosen to represent the United States at the Opera Ball in Vienna, Austria. And this is my favorite part. She is director of the Spam Museum in Minnesota. <laughs> and after this was done... Um, and she, not this particular one, but when this was learned and she was announced, like uh, the spam museum has gotten more people coming through. As weird and as crazy as all of that is. I'll tell you what, when I was listening to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, I thought this one definitely was fake. Um, just so many things there. I'm like, this one's totally fake. This was the real one. As crazy and as ludicrous as it was, this is the real one. Church, this is real. Jesus Christ really did establish his kingdom. He really did start this massive movement to completely revolutionize the world and eventually have a new heavens and a new earth where we will live for eternity in resurrected bodies glorified with him. He really did that. And 2,000 years ago, he really went back to the Father and said, go, keep it going. You could do this. I believe in you and I've provided everything you needed. Go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son. For everything that he has given his completely dedicated life. Where he would live and serve you in complete obedience. He would serve his disciples. He would sacrifice himself for the world. Lord, thank you for his love, for his example, for his resurrection. That we now, in the power of your spirit, knowing what has been given to us, we can continue the mission. Please, Lord, help us to stop looking at our qualifications and our faults and our failures and to look to you. Not that we don't try to get better, but that we don't let it hold us back because we trust you first and foremost. And Lord, use us to make a difference as you have used your saints throughout the ages for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen.